stirring up the church to do what it's called to do, but then for those looking outside in as well, those that are skeptical of the church and what the church means, they're saying, look, if this is what Jesus is building, I don't want to be a part of that. They want to stir up the faith to restore the faith of those outside looking in as well. And these letters are found in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, written about 90 AD. And I just want to remind you, we've got a few more weeks here, that there is a blessing that comes when you read the book of Revelation. And if you have not cracked open your book uh, or the Bible uh, in the last few weeks as we've been studying these letters, I want to encourage you to do so. Read the book. It's 22 uh, chapters long, and uh, it will bless your life. There's a promise at the beginning of Revelation and at the end to do so. And then if you've missed a few weeks and you're saying, boy, I'd like to hear, you know, what else these, you know, what, what, what about these seven letters? All of the messages are online. You can listen to those at any time at your convenience, and you can download them, listen to them in your car, and all those things. Well, chapter two, we looked at Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, right? The, the church in Pergamum, and then the church of Thyatira. Well, today we're going to graduate to chapter 3 in Revelation. And someone said, are we just going to keep on going after this? Well, it would take, yeah, it would take about, you know, six years at the pace we're going to get through the book of Revelation. So no, we are going to do something different in the summer that's going to be powerful. But chapter 3, today we're going to look at the, the church in Sardis. And uh, it's interesting, as we, we will look at this, there's a, there's a circle of churches that had been planted by John, who is, has this revelation. And I want to give you some background that's going to be helpful as we read the words here in Revelation chapter 3. Sardis was a city that estimates somewhere between 60 to 100,000 people. Uh, it does not exist today. Just the ruins exist. In fact, my grandparents were just in that part of the world and doing some uh, Jerusalem tours in, uh, in Israel, and they visited this uh, particular site and some, some of the things, some of the ruins. And my parents, for their 40th wedding anniversary, uh, are leaving in just a couple weeks, I think, uh, right at the beginning of June or something like that, and they're pretty excited about that. But these are some popular sites to visit. It's about 30 miles south of Thyatira, which we studied last week, and about 60 miles inland from Ephesus and Smyrna. And uh, we understand that this city really comes together at the point where five different major highways come together. And because of that, it's a crossroad, a junction, and it's a center for trade. Now, back in the, in, during the Persian Empire, Sardis was considered the western point, most western point of Persia. And so they actually, it was at the very edge there. And I think we got, uh, uh, let's see here. Someone put this together for me, and uh, let's see here. So we have Ephesus, Sardis up there, uh, 60 miles in, south of Thyatira. But Persia would have been up over in this, and it would have been the westernmost point there. And what's interesting about that is that as you look at that, it was a place of exile, kind of for the Babylonians, for the Persians. And ultimately, the city became a melting pot of all different kinds of people. A melting pot. And the result was that there was a strong Christian influence, there was a strong Jewish influence, 
a strong Roman influence, a strong Greek influence. And what's interesting, when we read this letter, which is different from Ephesus and Thyatira, some of the others, there's no pressure here as far as uh, false gods and things like that. There's no persecution. What does it sound like? Sounds a little like America, a melting pot of people, all different kind of backgrounds. And we don't have a whole lot of pressure. If you're, if you're a Jew or if you're Greek or if you're Muslim or if you're, you know, there's no pressure in America, uh, to, so to speak. And what's interesting is we see it, as we read these words, there's going to be uh, some light bulbs that are going to go on this morning. And I pray that our hearts will be open. Sardis was very wealthy. It was very tolerant. Um, in fact, at one point, it was considered one of the greatest cities in all of the ancient world. They were known for athletics. Uh, Nate, you would have loved that. They spent, and their, their students, uh, because of the Greek influence, spent five to six hours of physical training. They also uh, focused on the arts and culture as well. And the city was built up on a plateau. Uh, there was an area that was, it was kind of raised up, and then they built an acropolis on top of that, that that went up another 1,500 feet above the city. And they considered the city impenetrable. It was a battle fortress that was very, very difficult to overcome. Now, there was also a temple of Artemis there, but it was never completed. And as we look at these words in Revelation chapter 3, it's very important. But this temple to Artemis, if it would have been completed, would have been two times the size of the Parthenon, which would have been, uh, most scholars say, would have been one of the seven wonders of the world. And what I want you to know this morning, more than all the history of it, is that Jesus had a message for Sardis for the church in Sardis, and he has a message for each of us today. On your tables, there's Bibles. I want you to grab that. If you don't have one, there are a few extra copies in the back. I want you to stand, and we're going to read these words, this letter, this red letter that Jesus wrote in Revelation chapter 3. Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning to honor God and his word. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains in what is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but, his, but will acknowledge him, his name before the Father and his angels. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And let's pray. Lord, bless your word. Seal it in our hearts. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. There's a pattern in each of these letters that we've been following. 
And the pattern kind of looks like this, that we talk about the characteristic of Jesus, then we look at, there's a compliment typically uh, for, the, for the church, then a concern, then comes a correction, then a commitment. And we want to start right at the top at the characteristic of Jesus in verse 1. We just read that Jesus is described as the one holding the seven spirits and the seven stars. Seven stars representing the seven churches, right? And we've kind of seen that imagery before in some of the previous letters. And then it says that he's also holding, or uh, he's holding the seven spirits. He holds the seven spirits. This is a reference most likely to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, where the Holy Spirit is described in seven, seven different ways. And you can look that up on your own time. It's very interesting. But basically what's happening here is we're speaking to the fullness and the completeness of the person uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit. A huge contrast to the city of Sardis, which was incomplete, especially the temple of Artemis. It speaks to the life within the church, that Jesus is the life of the church, and he is in control. Each of these letters, if they don't say anything other than this, he's saying, look, I know where you are, and I am in control. And it's really, really powerful imagery. Jesus holds the seven churches. He holds the seven pastors, the messengers, the angels in his hands. And I want to say this. You may be here this morning, and you may be away from God, but Jesus, he holds your hand, he holds your life in his hands, and all we got to do is surrender. Jesus is in control. You may think that you're out of control, but Jesus, if we need to surrender our lives, and he is in control. So the second thing that we typically look at is the compliment. And it's interesting, when we read this, there is really nothing to compliment. Something is taking place in the church. Jesus cannot even look favorably, or he certainly doesn't write it out, a compliment. And I'm saying, wow, this is interesting. He, he looks at the church of Sardis, and he doesn't compliment them. And it kind of gets right to the point, and he comes right to the concern, and we see that in verse uh, verse 1. And let's look at that again. It says, I know your deeds. This is the concern. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Everyone say dead. dead. You are dead. That's not a good reputation. What's happening here is that there's an inconsistency between current reality and the reputation. The church from the outside looked very wealthy. People were attending. They were getting along with the culture. There was not a whole lot of pressure from sexual promiscuity like some of the other churches were struggling with. There was no pressure. They were saying, look, you can do whatever you would like. Live your life, no problem. And on the surface, there was this great religious organization. But under the surface, there was no relationship with Jesus. On the surface, they weren't dealing with doctrinal issues, and they certainly weren't dealing with opposition because of persecution. But the church had become comfortable, had become content, and they were living on their past reputation. This is huge. How many of our reputations are inconsistent with what our reality, what our lives really are. 
How many of our marriages on the outside maybe look a little different than what's really happening at home or behind closed doors? How many of our kids are maybe play the part but are sowing their wild oats or having trouble? How many of those in business, you're saying, boy, on the outside, everything looks good, but there's some ethical issues. See, church, sometimes there are things in our lives that we allow that are far from godly. And Jesus, he's not happy with the church in Sardis, and he wants us to heed the instruction. He says, you look alive, but you are really dead. Now, fair enough, in verse 4, he does recommend or uh, con- commend a few. He says, a few with unsoiled clothes. Uh, I read that, and I'm like, unsoiled clothes? I mean, we don't use that type of terminology. You know, we soil our, you know, kids soil their diapers, right? And that's what I'm thinking. But that's not what it's talking about. It's really a picture of righteousness. And what's interesting in that area, the wool industry and, uh, was very, very important. And to have white, crystal clear white garments was, is really what they're talking about, a picture of righteousness. But for the early hearers, they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. And they would have known who those few people were that were standing strong strong. And boy, it would have been a message that really, really hit home. But it doesn't only hit home there. It can hit home right here in our midst, right here at the Gateway Church today. Because the church, and maybe some of our lives, are exact opposite of who Jesus says he is. He says, I'm the complete one. I'm the one that's alive. And he's saying, you are the ones that are, look like you're alive, but are really dead. And what's interesting about this is I studied this and almost every commentator that I read, they said that the church was mirroring what was happening in the city of Sardis. They were living on past reputation. There was a front and now the city doesn't even exist. That church doesn't exist. And how often do we get caught up and do we mirror our culture? And Lord, help us. And then I said, wait, what's the question for the morning? What do we do to bring reality back into our reputation? Some of you, I look out here and I know your families, and I know the reputation that you hold or in our community or is certainly here at the Gateway Church. But if there's an inconsistency with the reality versus the reputation, what does it take to bring it back to a reality? What does it take to rebuild a marriage? or to strengthen your faith journey, or to restore what the, what the enemy has got a hold of your kids. Whatever you might be facing, there is hope found in this red letter. And in Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, we see the correction. And I want to read it, and then I want to take these one by one and look at this. What the correction is, or what the encouragement is, is this. Verse 2, let's read it. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in my sight, in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. The correction is really fivefold. And so when I get to the fifth one, you know that the message is wrapping up, okay? The correction starts with number one. He says, 
wake up. Wake up. Get with it. Be watchful. Be alert to the reality that's around you. Face reality. Now, what's interesting about the history of Sardis is that it was a strong, powerful, impenetrable city. But there were two times in Sardis history that they fell asleep and were not watchful. And there was destruction that came to the city. The first one was in 546 BC. And the Persians, led by Cyprus, they wanted to invade uh, Sardis. And the people, uh, they said, no, we're just going to hunker down. We're going to hold our ground. The people went up to the Acropolis and they waited for the Persian army to, to leave. They were going to outweigh them, outweigh them. But what's interesting, and I, I assume this is a, a true story. I read it in one commentary. One of the soldiers that was up on one of the walls was up there guarding the city like a, a good soldier would. His helmet fell off and outside of the city. And what happened in 546 here is that the soldier, he looks down, and instead of just going and getting a new helmet and facing the consequences there, he found a way to scale down the side of the city to get his helmet. Well, he thought no one was looking, but the Persian army, they were watching. They found a way and when everyone was sleeping, within two weeks, they created a plan. They got in the same way that that soldier came down and overtook the city. Incredible. In two weeks, they were overtaken. They were caught off guard, found a way to scale. The same thing, very similar thing happened in 214, 300 years later, nearly identical. It was a surprise attack led by Antichus. They, uh, they, led the, it, they, were, they were able to capture the city because there was a portion of the walls that had vultures that would consistently be found. And vultures don't like humans. In the enemy, they said, look at those vultures. They're there every day, every night. And they assumed that no one was guarding that portion of the city. And in 214, Antichus led a capture into the city. They scaled the wall there because they left a portion unprotected. They left a part of their wall unguarded, no human presence. And church, the fact is, is that the enemy in our lives will find out what area you are weak in, the areas that I'm weak in, and he will attack so the question this morning that we need to all face, and I don't want you to leave here without facing it, is where is your point of weakness? Where are you weak? And the fact is, is that we probably all can identify an area or two where we are weak. Is it after 10 o'clock when everyone else goes to sleep or when no one else is around? Are you weak when your spouse leaves for out of town? Are you, are you weak when you get together, just two people and no one else is around and the emotions run wild? Is an area of weakness in the way you spend your money or the way you cover up different things? How about for the students that are here? Are you weak when it's exam time and you haven't studied and you're tempted to cheat? Where is your weakness. Can I be honest with you this morning?
one of the areas of weakness for me, and I've had to address this at different times in my life, uh, Jessica could attest to this, is with the TV. I don't know if any other guys have this syndrome where you can just sit and flip and flip and flip and flip and flip all night long. I can waste hours if I'm not careful. And so there have been times in my life, I know that's a weakness, where I've said, you know what? I'm going to cut TV out of my life. I'm not going to watch TV, or I'm not going to watch TV at night by myself or something like that, because I know that's an area of weakness. Another area for me, and I just want to say this for the benefit of parents, but even for those, for husbands and wives to be aware of this, uh, with all of our smart devices, with all of our phones, with all of our iPods, iPads, how many know there's a lot of danger that's out there? These are little sin holes, <laughs> and you, can be, you have to be careful. And uh, it's interesting, someone grabbed my iPod not too long ago, and they wanted to get on YouTube. And they're like, hey, we can't find YouTube. Where is it? Well, we took that off to protect me. And I'm okay saying that. Is that okay? And I'll tell you, I say that because it's an area of weakness. I have to be careful. And parents, we cannot allow our kids full access to this stuff. We have to be careful. And I wish I could, we could take a whole sermon on, on that. But let me just say, parents, know where your, parents, or know where your kids are going uh, online, TV, video games, you know, uh, they, there's access everywhere. Be careful. It's our responsibility. And let God help us. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the enemy, he will go after our weaknesses. The areas where we leave unguarded. So the encouragement here to Sardis was be watchful. The re their reality was different than their reputation. And he, Jesus is saying, look, you are, look like you're alive, but you are really dead. Sardis was this wealthy church, uh, but they had become complacent, comfortable, and they had dropped their guard. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Interesting uh, section here. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, his under-shepherd. And, uh, and he's, it's interesting that, that Timothy says this about the church. He says, look, uh, in verse 17, he's talking to uh, Ephesus primarily here, but it certainly relates to Sardis. He says, command those, in verse 17, who are rich in this present world, even the church that's rich, not to become arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And then look at verse 20 here. This is so important. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Let that be the word of God for many of you today. Guard what's been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is false called knowledge, which some have professed and is in so doing have wandered from the faith. And then it says, grace be with you. We need to guard ourselves. And take it seriously. The commitment was, or the first thing was to wake up. Back to Revelation chapter 3, verse, 
verses 1, I think it's still in verse 1. Let's continue. It says, wake up. And then the second thing it says is strengthen what remains and what is about to die. The culture in Sardis was that they were physically fit. They worked hard. Muscles, uh, physique was important. And Jesus says, look, I want you to be spiritually fit as well. Strong inside, internally. Not just the outward. Uh, back to 1 Timothy, which we get some uh, really great insight here. Uh, you may have read this before, but it says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I like to be physically fit. I'm pretty active. I'm, uh, you know, running or biking or swimming or playing basketball every week of my life, pretty much. I, I enjoy that. But as important that as that is in my life, our, my spiritual life has to take priority. In Ephesians, it's also encouraged for the Ephesians church to stand firm, to be deeply rooted in love. These are the things that need to be strengthened from within. In Sardis, the imagery there is that their garments had been soiled and they needed to clean up. They needed to strengthen on the inside what, uh, uh, what needed to be done. And so it says, wake up, strengthen what remains. And then the third thing it says in um, Revelation chapter 3 there, it says, for I found these things. In verse 3, it says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. He says, remember, every day in Sardis, they would have walked by the temple of Artemis that was not complete. And Jesus is saying, look, remember, I am complete. I'm the one with the seven spirits. I'm the one in control with the seven stars. And he says, uh, he says, remember that Jesus lives inside of you, Romans 8, 11, that he's the one that gives us life through the Spirit. And what was needed was not a new gospel, but to get back to the truth of the original gospel. And I just want to say, no matter where you are in your faith journey, if you've been sliding like the church of Sardis, and maybe you're falling away, or maybe you're just you know, turned away. It doesn't matter how far your reality is from your reputation. At the moment's notice, when you call on the name of Jesus, he is quick to find us again and to help us. He wants us to remember. Remember, it says there, therefore, what you have received and heard. Some of you need to remember those early days when you gave your heart to the Lord and the passion that burned inside of you. Some of you need to remember some of the trials and some of the things that you have faced in the past and God has helped you to be victorious over because it will help you in what you're facing today. To not be bogged down. We need to remember. The fourth thing, though, is pretty incredible. He says, not only remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, but then he says, obey it. And you're going to want to write this down. I looked this up this week, and um, that word is full of meaning. You want to know what that, that word obey means in the original Greek? 
you want to write this down? It means obey. <laughs> yeah. Not only to remember the truth, they needed to obey it, to live it out. Sardis was known for great philosophy, but, they, but hearing that philosophy was not good enough. They needed to do it. And you need to do it. You need to, to understand the Word of God. You need to walk away this morning not only hearing the Word of God, but taking hold of it and putting it into practice. And I was just thinking this week, and I've got it in my notes here, can you imagine John, who's at the Isle of Patmos, he had planted this church. He had put his blood, sweat, and tears. He was still considered an overseer, even though he was exiled to Patmos. And the revelation of Jesus comes, and he has to write down, remember, obey. I know when my kids are disobedient, and I have to sit them down and say, look, Logan, I need you to obey. Look, Reagan, I need you to obey. It's hard sometimes, but we have to do it. Can you imagine John, the pastor over this area, having to write these painful words? Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 22. Love what this says. James chapter 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. And then it says, Do what it says. You say, well, what does that look like when it's done right? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. When we obey, we are building for transformational living. God helps us a solid rock in our lives when we obey. So four things so far. We see, uh, we see that we're to, to wake up, to strengthen, to remember, to obey. And the fifth and final thing is that we are encouraged, and the church was encouraged, to repent. To turn around, to go the opposite direction. And what's so crazy is that every single one of these churches needed to hear these words to repent. And I was kind of surprised by this. And I'm surprised that the church needs to repent. But I'm not as surprised when I think about it personally. And I think about my constant need to surrender my life to the Lord. And my guess is that I'm not alone. That each of us, we need to repent. Sardis, they were considered a lifeless church. They needed to repent. And they didn't need just a reorientation, just a, you know, if they're heading in this direction, just to start heading in three degrees this way. They needed a 180 degree change in their church. And many of us, I believe, need to take that step and turn around, repent. These red letters have affected me personally as I've read these. And I was talking with another pastor who's preached through these letters before. And he says, it is, it, it, he said this week, I was just reminiscing with him. He said, man, when I went through this with my church, he said, it just rocked my world. And I'll say, the same is true for me. The need for repentance is so apparent and so clear. And we need it. I need it. You need it. 
to humble ourselves, to repent. But he doesn't leave us there. There's a commitment in verses 5 and 6, and I want to read that in Revelation chapter 3. Let's read these words. It says, He who overcomes like them, talking about the few that have not soiled their garments, he says that you will be dressed like them in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father in heaven. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus challenges Sardis, and he's challenging us to be overcomers. He gives them a promise that if we overcome, if they were to overcome, they would have the right to wear white garments, to have the right wardrobe. The promise was that he would not blot out their name, that they would be considered worthy, that Jesus would say one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Pretty powerful words. Now, there is a section here in the scripture here, as you study this, there's some controversy. And we're going to leave that uh, to Wednesday night's discussion. I'd encourage you all to come back. Maybe we'll just leave all these tables and just assume everyone's coming back. It'll be awesome. Because there's some, there's, you know, for, uh, from different backgrounds, some people look at this and say, well, you can be a Christian and lose your salvation. Others would say, no, that's not what it's talking about. There's two different types of books, and, and uh, just it's very interesting conversation. We don't have the time to discuss it all today, but on, we can touch it on Wednesday, right, John, and uh, do the best we can there. But I do want us to you know they were encouraged to overcome, to be faithful, and there was a promise that if they were, that they would be considered worthy. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Some incredible words here, written here in a section of Scripture where we're called to persevere. We're called to hear His Word. And in verse 35, it says, So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. To overcome and you will receive what's promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back, amen, and are destroyed, but are of those who believe and are saved. The encouragement is to overcome. And we know the Word of God says that we overcome, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's not by being clever or our our ability, or we don't overcome by our own strength. We overcome with Jesus' help. How many of you need Jesus' help to overcome in your life? I know I do. And the encouragement is for us to be faithful. Church, This red letter is for us. It's for you personally. It's God's word for us. Can you hear God calling? We are not here to just play church, to have a reputation of being a church in our reality that doesn't match. You might be here today, and on the outside, Your life looks like you've got it all together. Your family looks like it all is together. You work hard for your reputation. And I understand that. 
It's interesting, Dominica mentioned when she was being baptized about the, the inconsistencies that she saw in the church growing up at a young age, and she walked away from the church because of it. The fact is, is that we all are susceptible. We all have areas of weakness. And the fact is, if we're honest, you know where you're weak. Am I right with that? You know where you struggle. The devil knows where you struggle. And the encouragement is to wake up. God is calling you by name. He's calling you to his cross. But not only just to wake up and to remember and to be strength, but to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. The call is to, con- to do whatever it takes to save your marriage, to deal in business with ethics, do whatever it takes in that relationship to be God-honoring in every area of your life, to do whatever it takes. That's what the call is. We cannot afford to live off our past victories. We need to face today. And if you are here this morning and you would relate to the church in Sardis that they appeared to be alive but were really dead, I found something out about dead bodies this week that I think is pretty interesting. You may know this, that once someone dies, there are signs of life even in that dead person. Did you know that your fingernails will continue to grow after you die? Pretty gross, eh? <laughs> that your hair will continue to grow? It is not uncommon for a dead body to blink or to have uh, body quivers. They call it muscular retraction. One undertaker uh, tells that a body that was dead shook uh, so violently that it threw itself onto the floor. Can you imagine? I wouldn't be the only one on the floor. <laughs> that body wouldn't be. I'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and that same undertaker was asked, he said, it was asked, doesn't it bother you that the dead have signs of life? And he says, no, dead is dead. Write that down in your notes or write it in your Bible. Dead is dead, unless you're Sherlock Holmes, right? And uh, you've seen that, if you've seen that movie, crazy how the guy could die and then come back to life, but with medicine. But uh, dead is dead. And you know what's so true? Is that the church could have signs of life. You could have signs of spiritual life, but be dead. And that is scary. We need to wake up and strengthen. Remember, we need to obey and we need to repent. And that's what God is calling us to do, individually and even corporately. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads this morning. Father, I thank you for moments like this where your truth can come to life and it can help us. It can shape us and mold us into who you want us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would heed the words found in Revelation 3, the letter written to the church in Sardis, Lord, that we would not only just hear it, but we would understand it and and obey and repent. And Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, like only you can do, would you search out our hearts and our minds? 
You're the only one that can really, truly convict and change hearts and minds. And Lord, we need you desperately to do that. And so we give you these moments in our lives to consider how are we doing and help us, Lord, to be honest in Jesus' name. I want everyone's eyes on me for a moment here. I want you to know, first of all, how much I love you and uh, I'm, how much I appreciate, I mean, your families, you as individuals, and I mean, you guys, we're the church. But when I read these words, and I know some of your reputations, and I know some of the struggles between our reputation and reality. And as your pastor, I want to commit to you that I want to continue to struggle and continue to, to create opportunities for my reality to match my reputation. I know many times pastors are kind of put up on a pedestal, right? Like, oh, look at you know, how great you know, uh, he is or his family or, you know, boy, his kids should be perfect, right? <laughs> oh, let me tell you. <laughs> but we grapple with that. I grapple with that. And my encouragement for each and every one of us is to take a good, hard look. And as your pastor, I preach these words. It's God's word. And I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would illuminate those areas of weakness in your life. And the challenge this morning that I want to leave you today is to not leave those areas unguarded. Don't take it for granted. Oh, I'm good in 95% of my life. Well, the enemy, he knows about that 5%. He knows some of those areas of darkness. And whatever it is, guard those things with your life. Parents, guard your kids. You are responsible for your kids. And I, I believe this, that as we do that, we will start to look more like Jesus and our reality will become more consistent with our reputation. We want, in our mission statement, our vision statement, is to be known, to be a healthy, multiplying church, right? To be healthy, multiplying. It says to be known for making an impact in our community, in our world. What's haunting me, or what's haunting me this week, is that we could, like the church in Sardis, we could be known for making an impact, but we could be dead at the same time. If you're interested in not only being alive in your reputation, but for your life to match the reputation from the outside, I want you to stand right where you are. We're going to close in prayer together, and we're going to ask God to help us to guard those areas in our lives that need to be guarded because that's the way our reality will match what our reputation is. Father, we need you desperately. Help us, God, to heed these words. Lord, touch our hearts and our minds like only you can do. Holy Spirit, you are the convictor. 
You're the one that changes and transforms us for your glory and honor. And Lord, I'll be the first one to say, God, I'm sorry for the times in my life that my reputation was sweeter than the reality in my life. God, help us to move in the direction where our our reality, our life matches what we want our reputation to be. Lord, for every young person here, Lord, I pray whatever struggles they may be facing, Lord, that you would help them. Lord, for the single adults that are here, whatever they may be facing, God, I pray for your help and your hand to, to be upon us. Lord, I also pray for every married couple here. We know the enemy attacks marriages. And Lord, I pray that in the areas of weakness, Lord, that we would be watchful. We would wake up. And whether that's that we need counseling or we need to get in God's word together or pray or be vulnerable again, Lord, whatever the case might be, help us to be mindful, Holy Spirit, And Lord, as the church, all together, Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray that we would be on guard, not defensively, but offensively, attacking the kingdom of darkness, and that we would truly be known for making an impact in this community and in the world. Lord, that's what we are called to be. And Lord, I pray that you would gird us up, that you would strengthen us, And we ask all of this for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's all I've got for you. (laughs) I wish we had a little bit better situation here. Because if God is really moving on your heart, I don't want you just to go by this, but to heed the instruction to repent, to obey, and to really change the course uh, that you may be uh, heading. And the Lord will help you in that. But other than that, this morning, I believe that they should be ready for, we want to transition into banquet time. And so what we'll do, you got a note for me or... We're going to take an offering for Pastor Mark. We're going to do some, uh, we're going to release, we're going to eat, and then we'll come back and we will um, we'll work on, uh, you know, we'll honor Mark and Julie. And yes, we will take an offering then, okay? All right? All right. So 